Welcome to Deconversion Therapy. This is Karen in Tennessee. This is Bonnie down in Florida. Down under. And welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Down under. Bonnie's going to do most of the talking. You know where to find us. You know what to do. Our merch has been selling so well. Thank you, guys. Everything that we are and want to be is in the description of this episode. Click all the links and and enjoy. I thought you were going to say everything we are is because of you. (laughs) Oh, and that. And that too. Uh, Everything I do, do for you. Now we have to pay royalties (laughs) on that. Um, Every time someone's like, oh, I love listening to your podcast, and they pop up somewhere else, I'm always like, what? Who? What? Where? (laughs) Uh, So... Of course, thank you guys. And of course, you have reviewed us. Of course, you have. Of course. But we'd appreciate any of that. We really do. It, this keeps us going in our twilight years. Um, oh, anyway, Bonnie's got, <laughs> I know, uh, Bonnie's got some, some exciting something for me. And I'm just going to sit back on this one. Well, okay. So I was over in, um, I don't know, some tour over in England, and I go into all the charity shops, you know, and they've just got, they've mm-hmm. got really awful, in my opinion, thrift stores over there. <laughs> um, I feel like their culture might not waste as much shit as we do. And so not a, not, not a lot of stuff ends up in their charity shops. But I went in and I always like to look at the books. And yeah. um, there was this book, and it was facing out, whereas the, all, all the other ones were, you know, filed accordingly, uh, you know, like so a regular book. So it was a message. Book. So it was a, a message. And it was mm-hmm. the autobiography of Lenny Bruce. And I always meant to get around to like, oh, what was Lenny Bruce all about? And if you don't know who that is, it's because, A, he was here around on the planet a long time ago. Uh, but you might know who he is because he's kind of a secondary, I think, secondary character in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, I've only oh. seen up to a certain point, but yeah. I've seen him in a few episodes. And now I know that he was maybe in 13 of them. So maybe there's a bigger arc than I realize. And maybe more people are going, oh, who is this Lenny character? Was he real? Um, mm-hmm. Because apparently Mrs. Maisel was somewhat based on Joan Rivers. and Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Joan Rivers uh, was kind of um, hedging and noncommittal about what kind of relationship she had with Lenny Bruce. <gasps> yeah. Bom, gotcha, chicka, gotcha. Wow, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but he was... So he's an old comedian. Well... He well, never got he the chance old. to be old. <laughs> <laughs> he but wasn't old when he was 30, etc. When cetera, he was comicking. That's right. us. Okay. Yeah, but when you listen to a lot of comedians and they talk about their influences, they all put him up on a pedestal. Oh, like, I hear the name all the time. Yeah. yeah. And... um um, he, well, we'll get into it and I'll go a little chronologically. Like, mm-hmm. Johnny Carson, Lenny Bl- Bruce, uh, Lenny Bruce, and Karen and Bonnie. We hear it day in, day out. We hear it all the time. Um, so 
So, yeah, I haven't gotten to all of the episodes that he's in in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but what I was reading online I thought was really nice because they said the writers knew that they couldn't write any new material for him to do in the selections of episodes where he was performing because Mm -hmm. his stuff is very specific and they just couldn't, you know, they didn't want to mess with that. Um, Right. So... The episode that I was watching last night had something verbatim in there, except they took a tiny bit of license, which I understand, um, from his autobiography. Um, So that was kind of nice that they didn't make up new comedy. Right. Um, Anyway, so... So you may know him from that, and if I'm going over stuff that you've learned in the TV show, well, that's great, because I'm about to watch the rest of it, too, because I got rehooked last night. It's pretty good. Nice. Um, yeah. All right, so here we go. Um, the background for him, so that we know what we're dealing with, he was born about 100 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is a modern, modern conversation. But, okay, so he was born in 1925 on Long Island. Um, his parents divorced early. Then his mom decided to take him with her to New York City. And then she was like, mm, this isn't working. And <laughs> sent him back to live with his dad. So that messes with a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Childhood wasn't the best time for him, and it was really unstable. Um, at some point when he was a teenager, he ran away from home and fled to what they called the country back then, which was just Long Island. I guess it wasn't oh, as wow. developed as it is now. Um, and there are so many good comics out of Long Island. I guess it's uh, a real... We've got Pete <laughs> Davidson. He's we've Staten got... Island. Shit. Yeah, but that's okay. Nobody funny comes out of Long Island. It, not true. That. Two people from Massapequa. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> Alec Baldwin. Uh, oops. See, that's because you lived in New York and you understand what Massapequa is. <laughs> I would think that's another city. I don't understand. It's part of Long Island. Yeah, but okay. Lo- Long I Island. I know the iced tea. <laughs> bum, bum. <laughs> um. I think Judd Apatow. Uh, All right. Yeah. So, so everyone funny. Got it. Yeah. They're, they breed them. They breed them funny on Long Island. <laughs> um, okay. So this is what, this is the little section. So I'm reading this book. And by the way, it's falling apart as I'm reading it. It was completely pristine when I got it. And no one had like <laughs> opened it for 20 years. And then the minute I open it, crack pages ruffle (laughs) so it's all held together with all sorts of clips and paper clips but so I'm reading it on the train and this actually made me laugh out loud and I was like oh no (laughs) the people on the train and you know England don't talk that much and so to hear somebody laugh out loud I'm like oh my god I'm gonna like American (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be shunned um anyway I hope you think this is as funny as I do. So he's talking about his childhood in this little passage, and he says, Don't read at the table, I would be told. Why do they put stuff on the cereal box if they don't want you to read? Not at the table. When I get big, I thought, I'll read anywhere I want, standing on the subway. What's that you're reading, sir? A cereal box. (laughs) (laughs) So that, I was like, oh, I like this guy's brain. That's just funny to me. 
anyway. Exactly. Especially for like 1940 or wherever he would start developing yeah. his <laughs> comedy brain. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the, the mathematical equation is time plus uh, tragedy equals comedy. So, you know, mm-hmm. he's got a lot. Um, okay, so I mentioned that when he was a teenager, he fled to the country. <laughs> Whatever. He worked on a farm. So this family, like, adopted him and I guess had him as a farm hand. And he really felt like they were his family. But then after he joined the Navy for three years and came back, the mm-hmm. woman was like, okay, hi. And he was like, what? <laughs> Aren't we family? Aren't you excited to see me? I'm like, It is. It's so harsh. But But that is exactly what goes on in my brain. Like, I would start going, oh, my God, they were waiting for me to leave this whole time. (laughs) And they're so glad that I'm gone. They got somebody better. But those three years, I thought I was family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they always say when you go to war, you know, you need somebody to come back to. So at least he had that during the war. (laughs) The minute he Um, got home. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so... This is going to be another reference to something that is of our generation, but maybe you guys have seen it on repeats because it's still out there. Um, When he was in the Navy, after three years, he was ready to be discharged. So he decided to have a friend of his who knew how to sew, make some ladies' clothing for him, and he would put on the ladies' clothing, walk around the ship, and sure enough, it worked. He got dishonorably discharged because if you were anything near being a homosexual back then, they were like, beat it, get out. So um, eventually, he didn't like the idea that he got dishonorably discharged, and later he petitioned to have that changed. And so they changed it to, and this is a quote, under honorable conditions by reason of unsuitability (laughs) for the naval service. So, I mean... Again, wouldn't he get beat up? That's pretty brave. Yeah, I think he was kind of popular and a cut up. And um, oh, maybe, I got it. Okay, so he was he doing was a like tough, mash. That's exactly what it. That's what I realized. Like that was totally the inspiration for um, Klinger's character in Mash. Because Klinger mm-hmm. starts out the whole series like wearing dresses, like I'd like to be discharged, and they're like, Mm-mm, we're not buying it. Got it. So, uh, and when I'm a kid, when you're a kid, you know, oh, that's clever, that ha ha, that's funny, and then you realize, oh, it came from somewhere where somebody yeah. really did it. And I wow. love that he did something like that and wasn't afraid. And then I was like, oh, and there's the lyric. In the REM song, Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Remember that? Oh, you're very good at this. Stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> so I, I was just telling my mom about this, and that's when I was like, he wasn't afraid. And when you see some of the other shit he did, he wasn't afraid. Okay, so that's what made me want to tell you, or not tell you, but that's what made me interested in it. But then I started reading, and he tackles religion over and over throughout the course of his career. And I was learning stuff I would never have learned before. He really is um, very honest about the human body 
talks a lot about uh-huh. uh, nipples and touching them on his bare uh-huh. shaven face. And this is just, oh, okay. uh, <laughs> this is just. I, you know, you just made me picture like he has nipples he growing has nipples. from his face. <laughs> but um, he's really, you know, really, Harry Styles has a third nipple. Okay, really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I was okay. You know where I was in London is the little suburb yes. where Harry Styles lives. Okay, right. So and I gave you assignments and you didn't do them. <laughs> I tried we to have find no his Harry Styles <laughs> hair. But okay, so there's no even surface in that area. Everything is a hill or cobblestone or brick or uneven sidewalks that are made with pieces of slate that just, um, I don't know, aren't glued down really well. (laughs) So I kept thinking, oh, maybe I'll trip and fall. And then Harry will come running out of his house and go, hello, lady who's twice my age. (laughs) Can I help you? (laughs) And then it never happened until the very last day I was on like some tiny little pathway. And I'm like, the hell am I doing here? I should be on the street. And I slipped, and my first thought was, Harry Styles is never going to walk by here. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> no one was going to walk by there. Could have easily just croaked. Um, anyway, so there's the Harry Styles stuff. Another middle-aged American <laughs> woman found dead next to Harry's house. They keep dying outside my house. <laughs> okay, so during the war, he went to visit different um, houses where sex workers worked. And I'm not okay. using the terminology that he used in a book that was written in 1963. So you can, you right. can imagine the terminology he used. And a lot of that was what he got in trouble for, which they called obscenity. Okay. So over in France, he said there were four settings you could choose from in the houses over there where you went to have your Mm paid-for sex. One, Mm -hmm. the housewife room. You can imagine what that is. Oh, housewife, total, like, you know, um, nice domestic situation. Number two, the nursery where they dress no. like young kids. Disgusting. And the Pass. fact that that's mm-hmm. super popular is, yep. is I think it just speaks volumes yeah. about men. And the Pedos fact that... Only, <laughs> but I really think that, I don't know, these houses, and that you see them so frequently in the TV show Mad Men, I think a lot of mm-hmm. stuff was going on back then that was just accepted. <laughs> oh, I think... <laughs> Accepted yet not accept. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. So the third option in the France houses, the torture chamber. Great. Okay. Okay. S&M, what have you. But number four, the seminary. Okay. I don't know what the translation. nuns. We see. Oh, oh. But hold on. Okay. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from what he says about the seminary. This cost 2,000 francs. I didn't do the conversion rate from francs to dollars and the inflation rate, but it was worth it. 
He said the room was a bare monastery cell with only a wooden table, some straight chairs, and a straw pallet. Religious statues, pictures, and candles were everywhere. The towel girl led me in and left me alone there, and as I looked around, I was furious that when I would tell my friends in the States about it, they would think it was a lie. Not only that, but they might have me committed. Um, As I was the least... As I was at least as sane as the hundreds of men who visited this place seriously, men who we would consider decadent and degenerate, and more than that, in some twisted way, fanatically religious. Um, He says, in a moment, my thoughts were interrupted by a beautiful nun, complete in her habit, white starched headpiece, cross around the neck, gold wedding band and all. I was so excited that I offered her a 2,000 franc tip if she would just sit and talk to me (laughs) in broken English. He said, that was a twist, a nun confessing to me. Um, I was fascinated with her description of the operation. Some of her stories made my hair stand on end, but she really threw me into a laughing fit when she told me that a large percentage of her customers were priests. It's true that my philosophy... There and there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He says, it's true that my Believable. philosophy is anti-organized religion, but I am not making this up. She told me that she had a few rabbis, too. Like, well, you know, yeah, she's non denominational, <laughs> that's right. Um, so as soon as I read that, I was like, Well, I will keep reading this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> then, okay, so let's see, chronologically, I must read about sex for Karen, <laughs> she needs it for the pod. It was such an education because that's not the only time that he explained about these houses and what happened. I had no idea. I mean, why would I have any idea about that? But so much sex for money exchanged. So much. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about like, well, what's the difference between a lady and especially back then because they didn't work or do anything um, who Mm -hmm. exchanges her, I guess, virtue for the long term with a husband versus two dollars a shot. I'm like, <laughs> True. okay, husband she doesn't like, and right. the husbands or bows or whatever are probably off at war anyway. Yeah, so she's like, I gotta survive. <sighs> okay, so let's see. So he came back, was rejected by his, you know, farming. Fake mom and decided yeah. to join the Merchant Marines. But right before that, he met a stripper and he fell in love with her, but like really fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. So her name's Honey Harlow. Um, and then of he quit the Merchant is. Marines and ended up marrying her. And so here's what he says. Honey and I got married. I was wed to a stripper. Strippers were only a step. All right, we're going to. We're going to use his vernacular. Strippers were only a step above hookers, even as late as 1951. The first great breakthrough, or rather breakdown, of society's nudity, ludity, guilt by association, was the now famous Marilyn Monroe calendar. Marilyn's respectability when she died was based principally on her economic status, which is, in the final analysis, the only type our society really respects. I was like, oh... That's what I always say. <laughs> like, it's all about that's the money. A, that's deep. Yeah. Uh, 
Agree. All about the money. Um, I'm constantly fighting with somebody I work with, and they're like, well, this person shouldn't do that. Like, they're never going to tell that person not to wear a hat to an office meeting because he brings in money. Well, that's just awful. Like, they're never going to do anything because he brings in money. Anyway. And it's not that Marilyn didn't have a hard life and that she wasn't intelligent, etc. No. But... I know exactly what he's saying. Yeah. 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 She climbed up out of it because she was able to do well. Okay. And then, all right, this kills me. Uh, He says, if a girly book was all that was left as a document of this generation, an anthropologist Mm -hmm. of the year 2965 would logically assume that this culture seemed to be identified with the religious concept of God made my body. And if it is dirty, then the imperfection lies with the maker, the manufacturer, not the product. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. So Mm -hmm. this theme comes back over and over again in his in his writings. And he's like, if God made this part of you, it has to be perfect. Either that or it's it's either all dirty or all clean. And you don't get to gotcha. pick and choose. And so then you're yeah. then your God is That's dirty. True. Anyway. All right. So there you go. <laughs> so God, we gotcha. All right, so they they get married, and then she's a stripper. He's not fond of that, but he goes down to Miami Beach, and she's performing, and he's performing and doing, you know, like opening acts for strippers. Um, this is before he was so he just started a comic. his stand up. Yeah, he had okay. started his stuff, and he was, I guess, like an MC, like a presenter. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So then they're down in Miami Beach, and this is where the stuff gets really surprising. And I thought, when he started talking about what I'm about to tell you, I thought, okay, he's just making this up to write a book about something. But he wasn't. So in Miami Beach, his goal was to make enough money for Honey to be able to stop stripping because he didn't like the feeling that she was so close to being somebody who sold sex for money. Um, well, this right. is how the turntables turn with men. <laughs> is it? You're like, you're a stripper. I love everything about you. Now I would like you to stop stripping. Right. You know, <laughs> it, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so he starts telling in the book, he's like, okay, how to make some quick money and stay out of jail. If Father Divine could do it, why couldn't I? Of course, that would be the gimmick. I would become a priest or rabbi or a monk or whatever the hell was necessary to perform miracles, Mm -hmm. such as taking money from someone else's pocket and putting it into mine, (laughs) still remaining within the confines of the law. He says, I had no qualms about the sinful aspect of my aspiration because I felt that all so-called men of God are self-ordained. The calling they hear is just their own echo. (laughs) Like... Oh, that's, my God. That's you and him. <laughs> Same person. When did he die and when were you born? Yeah, that's Same right. Reincarnation. So, yeah, well, there's a lot more that I'm leaving out. I'm only telling you the religious tidbits. <laughs> Tids and vits. Um, okay, so he realized, okay, that would be too slow of a process because churches and synagogues never came up for rent. And they don't go out of business. <laughs> so he was looking around for a disease that hadn't been exploited yet. So he, came, so he came across a scrapbook item that was real, that was written about him in the Detroit Free Press. 
So when he was overseas, he became involved with a leper colony in British Guiana. Okay. <laughs> what? I know. And it was real. <laughs> skipped over that. <laughs> so he and his wife did a show for the benefit of them. So it was a good logical choice. So he would just help out this leper colony again. And mm-hmm. so the whole, there was a nice human interest piece, like how he said, oh, the donations need to be this. All the kids need sunglasses. And so somebody donated a lot of sunglasses because it don't, it helped, it hurt their eyes a lot, apparently, leprosy. Right. And that was Ray Bain. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he says his logic was the lepers would benefit and so would the good people who contributed. And I would keep 50% for my efforts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he said it was no more and certainly much less than the majority of charitable institutions take out for their efforts. They hire professional collecting organizations and ad agencies, which is true. You can go on that site and find out how much mm-hmm. of their uh, intake goes to administration. Uh, I have, and I would love to write about it because I dug deep and... There's someone who's done research by going to churches and asking them, are you willing to show me? Zero percent go directly to the poor. Zero. Like they do all their little, you know, oh, but we did an outreach where we gave them each a can, but they didn't have can (laughs) openers and all that shit. We did an outreach where we told them how to act. Like told them how to to behave. I stole that from Luke. from Lenny. I'll read more about that. Okay, so he said, I didn't doubt for a moment that if Christ were to come down at that moment, he would go immediately to headquarters and ask the Pope, what are you doing wearing that big ring? What are those gold cups encrusted with diamonds and other jewels for? Don't you know people are starving all over the world? And if Moses were to come down, wouldn't he order all the rabbis to melt down all their mezuzahs and ask people, why have you mocked the Ten Commandments? And like, ask, what is your interpretation of thou shalt not kill? It's not thou shalt not kill, but... So um, he's just poking holes. Before his time, before his time. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the other things that I thought was interesting is he was doing all this in the 50s. And, you know, our our impression of the 50s comes from happy days in Greece. I knew knew you were going to say happy days. Exactly. That it was uber wholesome. And clearly, mm-hmm. if everyone is going to houses where they purchase sex, it's not. <laughs> There's something going on that people are way not talking about. Um, oh, okay. So he says, I knew in my heart by pure logic that any man who calls himself a religious leader and owns more than one suit is still a hustler as long as there is someone in the world who has no suit <laughs> at all. So I made up my mind. I'll become a priest. So... Okay, so what was the challenge? Getting the outfit, the uniform. (laughs) So he decided he would hang around outside a rectory for a couple of weeks observing the holy men. And the way he did that without them getting uh, wise to him just uh, hanging around and loitering, he sold the watchtower. He sold Um. sold issues of the Mormon 
magazine. I thought they were for free, too. This guy has already figured, <laughs> give me them watchtowers for free, th- and then he sells them. <laughs> but isn't it like a donation thing, or maybe back then? It could be a donation. But I just, if you saw me looking down, I just was looking what the percentage of Americans were Christian or Protestant, uh, or, yeah, Christian claiming in the 50s. Well, I do have that information for Chicago because that's where he came uh, under uh, trial. (laughs) He actually went to trial for obscenity. Well, then I'll wait for that tidbit. I know, but you know what? You're just thinking. You're thinking. (laughs) I'm a thinking person. Me and Lenny, Um, same person, (laughs) except one is very afraid. (laughs) So... He observed these people from hanging out there for a couple of weeks and said that these holy people had the same kind of attitude toward their lessers that successful businessmen had. He treated the mm-hmm. lessers like like illiterate children. Um, he said they had their cronies, too, who they would drink with and tell off-color stories to, and said they mm-hmm. were very chameleon-like. Um He said daily he learned more about how to behave in the manner of men who have the world by the tail. No income tax, no traffic tickets. You live Mm -hmm. in a world that is on its best behavior, a wonderful rosy world, and instead of cursing everybody, everyone pours their soul out to you. Like, they're so protected like that. It is. And it's so, like, amazing how... We we just allow it. Okay. Yeah. I can't. That's another episode. Well, and this it's is right insane. on the heels of me um, watching the documentary on Hulu, God Forbid. The God Forbid. Yeah, about the yeah. Falwells. Right. Like, it's all the same, <laughs> except they don't have pretty outfits. <laughs> Uniforms or... Um, okay, so he got the uniform by pretending to be the dry cleaning representative. So he was like, yeah, so he would go, okay, so Monday the barber comes, Tuesday Uh the cleaning people come, Wednesday here come the dry cleaners. So he came at the same time, rapped on the door, they handed him just piles of the uniform. Um, And then as he was leaving with them, the real cleaning person showed up (laughs) and they're like, what? Who would steal all sorts of these uniforms? And um, and he he realized, oh gosh, they realized what happened. Um, and then he said he learned his first important lesson in theology: always insist <laughs> on an official receipt for your dry cleaning. But I'm bummed. Okay, so he stole the uniforms. Um, let's see. Oh. But when did the blind man come? <laughs> to Karen's fix the blinds. Joke. That's right. Um, so, so, yeah, and so this explains why things went bad quickly. When he went up to get the uniforms, the guy, the priest who gave him the handful of uniforms said, haven't you been selling the watchtower? And he said, yeah, but he didn't agree with their editorial policy. So he got a job with the dry cleaners. <laughs> 
Um, and of course, I'm picturing <laughs> just like this old bony naked priest who's right. like, here are the clothes. <laughs> I wanted to get them all out today, so just <laughs> we're only giving under one. shorts on. Um, okay, so so he gets the uniform. He dresses up as a priest. He drives around Miami Beach. Miami Beach, you've seen it. You've been there recently, mm-hmm. which is ironically where the hostel was that Jerry Falwell invested in. So, you know, Miami Beach. So his wife's convertible had like animal print seats. <laughs> so he's driving around as a oh, priest God. with the animal print seats. So he goes up to various houses. And of course, it's all the housewives home. And he goes mm-hmm. to a neighborhood that's not poor. You know, he goes to the ones that are red on the water. So uh, in two days, he made nine visits to houses, mm-hmm. had one rejection, right. one. Um, yeah. And this is also part of the time. Like what priests would go door to door these days? It's just not happening. Right. But the way things were or back anyone then. door to door. <laughs> or anyone. Like, yeah, yeah. Then it was just sort of a thing that was done. Yeah, especially door-to-door salesmen. Um, but you've got the outfit on, and he was like, this outfit gives me entree to everything. It looks like a free mm-hmm. pass. Um, so he says he always found women at home who wanted to bear their souls about their husbands. So after two days, he had collected $5,300. Golly. I know. And that is equal to... well. It, he he totaled eighty five hundred dollars after a few more days were added in, and with inflation, that is ninety seven thousand dollars in today's Shit. dollars. That's so much oh my money. God. I mean, what a great plan though to make enough oh. money to keep your wife, you know, uh, to from having to strip. <laughs> God, that I want to think of all the details in that. And I don't want my wife to strip, and I'm getting money from <laughs> women. I'm you. It's like you're reading my notes because the next thing that I have down here, his wife was Bonnie, suspicious. I, Honey, look at my brain. <laughs> it's huge. It's like there's no skull. I can see it moving. <laughs> okay, so she said to him, something is up. No woman is going to give you $750 for just talking. And then she ripped through all of his clothes looking for any, like, tissues, Kleenex and, mm-hmm. and lipstick and notes and phone numbers. And he's like, no, I'm serious. They just want to talk to me. And then he says it was like he was a therapist. And then, boop, they yeah. give him a check. Um, so sure enough, he goes back out one day and the police stopped him. Um, and they're like, oh, oh, we've been getting some reports here of somebody, uh, what do they say? Not loitering. I don't know. Um, marketing. That's not a racketeering. Soliciting. Soliciting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so it was at an intersection of a couple of streets, and I looked it up on Google. It's a beautiful neighborhood. All the houses are lush, and they're right on the water. So at this intersection, um, you know, all the ladies, the biddies, come out of their homes, and they see the police are stopping him and giving him a hard mm-hmm. time, and they're mad. And they're like, we're not going to let him take you, Father. These police officers belong to oh Satan's army. So oh. <laughs> the ladies kept coming out of their their houses. One of them had a A gun. A cab, a cab. (laughs) 
One of the Defund ladies the had police. an elephant gun and said, "We're behind you." And they <laughs> and they sang, "I'm brave when he walks with me." Um, and then I don't know that one. I don't but either. That's <laughs> it goes well with a <laughs> elephant gun. So they just kept saying that they were behind him, and if you don't want to get into that police car, we'll we'll support you. Anyway, wow. They um. The police went to his uh, hotel room and they found the charter Mm -hmm. for the actual registration that he did for the Brother Matthias Foundation because he registered it. He wasn't stupid. And so they found him not guilty. Um, He said he sent $2,500 to the lepers and then he and his wife split town. (laughs) They went to Philadelphia. So I know. That's so... That's enough to live on for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, we need to start this cult. Why? But that's... (laughs) Why aren't we figuring out how to uh, trick people out of their money? Because we're afraid. We are afraid. (laughs) And we don't have strippers for wives. I know. All right. So um, one of the things that he, you know, one of his just bits and pieces are scattered throughout here. He was thinking about organized religion and pondered, why don't religious institutions use their influence to relieve human suffering instead of sponsoring things like the Legion of Decency, which dares to say that it's indecent that men should watch some heavy-titted Italian starlet because those breasts are dirty. (laughs) Then he describes the breasts. That's where I was telling you, like, I had to... Boy, there's so much I'm not telling you that he describes <laughs> in here. Um, he says, all I want is for them to come out and stop issuing sanctimonious bullshit, saying one thing while pursuing the opposite. And since they condone capital punishment, I want them to stop bitching about Jesus getting nailed up. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, this is, uh, if people said this today, they'd be in in exactly. some hot shit. Exactly. I meant to say deep shit yeah. and hot water, but it came out. Well, be, it's all. It is hot, hot boiling shit. Um, so another little bit, he said, um, I'm confused about the direction of heaven because the earth revolves and sometimes you can go to hell at 830 <laughs> and heaven at 1206. Um, okay. So they drove to Pennsylvania. He had a sign in his car that said clergy. <laughs> so, which they used to have. Right. I don't know if they have that anymore. <laughs> I, but I don't either. Um, I haven't seen it in a while because parking lots are such no. a thing in our life too. It's not like a yeah a city. And it used to be like clergy could drive fast if they're yeah. You know, hey, I've got to go do last rites. Uh, don't give me a ticket, right? Um, so I love a good Roman numerals joke. So his. His joke was that um, the car was gone, and he assumed that it was stolen, and he says, um, oh, my gosh, should I call the police? No, I'll call headquarters. Hello, operator, give me Rome, I-V-M-L-V. <laughs> okay, that's just me loving a good Roman numerals joke. All right. So then he talks about coming up with Religions, Inc., which is just the business side of religion. 
um, Mm -hmm. concept of religions as corporations and the meetings that they would conduct. And he would say like, oh, well, you know, guys, this year we've got a tie in with Oldsmobile and I don't expect any of you out there uh, in the pulpit to make a hard sell. But I was thinking maybe if you just every once in a while threw in, uh, you know, terms like drive the car that he would drive. (laughs) So, um, So let's see. Then he got arrested again. Um, for obscenity, and, but this I thought was really interesting. According to Variety, the entertainment newspaper, they mm-hmm. said the prosecutor is at least equally concerned with his indictments of organized religion as they are with the more obvious sexual content of his act. It's possible that his comments on the Catholic Church have hit sensitive nerves in Chicago's Catholic-oriented administration and police department. I bet that's so true. And if you haven't watched The Keepers, it is very dark. But how, like, the Catholic Church in some cities were so connected to police. Is The Keepers the one power? where the girls were in school? And yes. Yeah. The nun that died, yeah. and then they went deeper to try and figure out. It'll yeah. mess you up. It, that was such a good show. And I solved it. Like I said, I tweeted the Archdiocese of Baltimore Mm -hmm. and said, I'm watching you. (laughs) That he was scared. (laughs) He, them, they, all scared. So in Chicago, he had one of his obscenity trials. He had many, but one of the big ones Mm -hmm. was in Chicago. And ultimately, he was found not guilty, but... Of the 50 people that were in the jury pool, 47 of them were Catholic. 47. Uh, Yeah. The jury eventually, it was all Catholics. And so is the judge, and so is the prosecutor and his assistant. (laughs) And um, he said on Ash Wednesday, it was hilarious because all the people in the court came with ashes on their forehead. (laughs) And um, the judge was telling him to wipe that off. Um, So. (laughs) And they're. Man. Well, in Chicago, they were talking about what a crazy high percentage of everybody were Catholic. And there mm-hmm. were like 3 million 500 some odd people in Chicago at that point. And I looked it up today mm-hmm. thinking, oh my God, Chicago is probably twice as big now. It's less. It's like tw- 2 million five. Like Chicago oh. was just packed as shit with people because it was an up and coming city. And everybody was moving right. there. Immigrants were moving in. Um, so it, it's just so crazy how... No contraception. <laughs> That's right. They just kept poking out. Um, so let's see. That was one of his obscenity charges. Um, let's see. In Los Angeles. And then he, he bopped around from different places. He worked with Honey introducing the strippers. Um, I just liked these names. One of the strippers' names was mm-hmm. Stacy Farrell, and she was known as Eartha Quake. And oh. then there was Betty Ball of Fire Roland. Um, Obviously. <laughs> sure. Um, so I just I mentioned that because during all of the shows that he did like that, he was getting popular and friendly with the musicians. That's when they say he got introdu- introduced to amphetamines and other drugs like heroin. Wow. 
It's always the, yeah. It's always the musicians. All right. So there was a bit about him. So a lot of that was from his autobiography that I just gave you. Mm -hmm. Another source is the Museum of the Jewish People. And I loved their website. And just for context, you know, it was happening during the 1950s, his rise to fame and performing. And a lot of the Jewish performers at that time wouldn't use their real names because they just, and they wouldn't talk about anything that was controversial. They just wanted to be seen as all Americans. So like they named a few of the comedians of the time, Mel Brooks, Mm -hmm. whose real name is Melvin Kaminsky, Um, Danny Kaye, whose actual last name is also oddly Kaminsky, and then Rodney Dangerfield, who was Rodney Cohen. I mean, Lenny used a fake last name too. He was Lenny Schneider, but everyone changed their names then, but um, if he is related to Rob Schneider, <laughs> I am erasing this whole episode. I'm just going to delete it. Um, <laughs> so while all of these people were just trying to be the all-American and blend in and just entertain everybody, he mm-hmm. did the exact opposite. He laughed at Gentiles, Christians, Judaism, the relations between the two faiths. Um, in the 50s, when the threat of Senator McCarthy was everywhere, you know, a lot of the Jews just wanted to integrate not make a fuss. Um, But it says he poked a finger right in the eye of Christian American society and kept it down. He said, we Jews killed Christ. And if he comes back, we'll kill him again. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Not cool. So this is the one that I loved. And I think you'll enjoy some of his bits made it into the hall of fame. For example, um, Jewish or Goyish, where he talked about how, um, certain things were affiliated with the way Jews do things, and, and then the non-Jews, the Goys. He also said that Mormons mm-hmm. called non-Mormons Goys as well, which hmm. I thought was interesting. I'd never heard Appropriation. that. Appropriation. <laughs> um, he says, if Jesus was killed in our generation, Catholic school children would be wearing little electric chairs around their necks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Can oh. you imagine... All of the churches would just yeah. have little yeah. little chairs of torture. Or syringes if it was the, the sleeper medicine. Oh, God. <laughs> I never... But uh, you, you're the one who always points out to me how sick that is. Yeah. And it, it, it's... Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. They also branded him a sick comic because of how much profanity and the topics that he, you know, dealt oh, with. Oh, I'm sure he would just be, you know. Yeah. And uh, and there were different obscenity laws back then. Like, you can say stuff now mm-hmm. you absolutely couldn't say back then. Um, right. Anyway. He, I mean, that there's even obscenity laws compared to now is, is yeah. crazy. Yeah. I wonder how many houses um, where you can go and have sex there are now, though. Wouldn't you really well, like to my know house? <laughs> Stop. For I mean, money. I guess any... Oh. Uh, um, <laughs> well, you know, you've got the whole Nevada thing, the yeah. Bunny Ranch and all that where it's legal, but... But that yeah. wasn't legal anywhere I, else. Anyway. Okay. No. I mean, they're still there, but... yeah. yeah. All right, so um, one of his other jokes was he was really glad that people were leaving the church and going back to God. Funny. Um, 
Okay, mm-hmm. let's see. One of his other thesis statements was that if what you do in the bedroom is dirty, then you're a true atheist. Because if you believe that God made the body and the body is dirty, then the problem lies with the maker. And he challenged that some parts of the body are clean and some are dirty, but he didn't see that in the Bible. Um, he said the confusion comes from the celibate religious leaders claiming that this is what should be and that whatever they claim should be isn't really what is. And so the whole naming of things and behavior and concepts is what should be isn't actually something we've ever seen. And so it's like a huge lie that they've made up for people to measure up to. Right. And And I think that's really good. Like if you, yeah, do things in the bedroom Etc. Yeah. or whatever. And think of all to of To call the, you an atheist. Well, and the Liberty Ooh. Way. The rules for the kids who attend Liberty College mm-hmm. are so strict, yep. but it's not what is. But somehow right. they can get fined and expelled if they don't live up to it. And the whole idea to me is what exactly happened at our Christian college that it took me forever to realize that parents brought up in that time when there were obscenity laws Mm -hmm. and other things feel very comfortable sending their kids. You know, it's not always about the kids (laughs) wanting to do something. It's like they will be safe here or, you know, they won't do bad things if they are put somewhere with all these strict rules. But we know everyone coming out of Liberty University, a freak. (laughs) <laughs> everyone, every single one. Everyone. Um, I have the stats. <laughs> well, I'll just go ahead and interrupt quickly to say I did look up the percentage of Americans who proclaimed that they were Christian in the 50s, 90%. Yeah. That is, and 90%, and you have to understand that Jews existed. <laughs> so... Yeah. That's insane. And that he is saying that stuff. Yeah. Quite ballsy, Mr. Lenny Bruce. <laughs> um, Shapiro. I forget what his Schneider. last name was. Um, so he also did a bit about Christ and Moses because he liked both <laughs> of them. And um, he and this was one of them that made it like almost verbatim into Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He said Christ and Moses were standing in the back of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and he was confused. Christ says at the grand, or Christ was confused by the grandeur of the interior um, of the church. His route took him through Spanish Harlem. He would wonder, why are 50 Puerto Ricans living in one room here in Spanish Harlem? That stained glass window is worth nine grand. <laughs> so... He says, exactly. Jesus calling the Pope. Will you get me Rome? Hey, uh, what's happening? Let's see. Talked about his trials. I think he had like six different obscenity trials. Wow. Um, one of the big ones was Chicago. And then one of the giant ones that became the OJ trial of the day took six months. Mm-hmm. And they said wow. it was just a media circus. Um, Over, like, a joke? Um, they arrested him in a club for obscenity. But, you know, New York had its share of Catholics, too. So I oh, think for what sure. Variety had said was, was really valid. It was more—and 
you know, he also, this is scattered through in his career. He, he did a lot of drugs. So mm-hmm. he would have the drugs and they would, he would get in trouble with the police because he had the drugs. And then he would snitch on the drug dealers. And so he was oh, constantly well, snitching on the drug dealers to keep him out of prison. That's not great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you know, he was just generally trouble. And you know how they, they just For didn't sure. like it. And when you watch, when you, if you watch the E! True Hollywood story, the two police officers Ooh. who were like on his case in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you could just tell it was just a fight for power kind of thing. Especially right, the way right. they talked about him. Who hosts the the E Hollywood story on him? Um, there wasn't Mary like Hart. A sp- no, <laughs> there is just a, a random narrator and then clips from a lot of people. Um, yeah. So let's see. I was gonna. Okay. So at one point there was a letter that he got, and it was from. Reverend Sidney Lanier, the vicar of the St. Clement's Church in New York. And basically, it's just, this is just a little bit of it. Um, It said, Dear Mr. Bruce, I came to see you the other night because I had read about you and was curious to see if you were really as penetrating a critic of our common hypocrisies as I had heard. I found that you are an honest man, and I wrote you a note to say so. It's never popular to be so scathingly honest, whether it is from a nightclub stage or from a pulpit, and I was not surprised to hear you were having some trouble... This letter is written to express my personal concern and to say what I saw and heard on Thursday night. He goes on and says, you know, that he doesn't believe it's obscene and that his intent wasn't to excite sexual feelings, blah, blah, blah. But instead, um, he says, it's clear that you're intensely angry at our hypocrisies, yours as well as mine. And um, I like this, the highly subsidized mealy-mouthism that passes as wisdom. Um, He says, clearly, your shows are aimed at adults and not kids. And so Mm -hmm. this is the person who should be choosing whether or not to come in. You're not forcing a kid to watch it. Um, Right. Oh, but then I like this. His comment about the letter says, the argument is that a child will ape the actions of an actor. So what he sees now in his formative years, he might do as an adult. So we have to be very careful what we let the child see. And he says, so then I would rather my child see a stag film than the Ten Commandments or King of Kings because I don't want my kid to kill Jesus. (laughs) All right. Um, Let's see. So... Big obscenity charge came. The one in New York at the six-month trial, um, Mm -hmm. that's the one where he was found guilty. And he had never been found guilty before. He always got off. Right. What gets me about what that pastor, priest, or whatever wrote is, I know you weren't trying to incite sexual feelings. Like, that. that is... Any kind of measure of either obscenity or Lewdness. whatever that's yeah. crazy. Because then you have to have people say, yes, I was excited when you just said, like, there's a whole, <laughs> that's a real messy topic right there. It's so messy. And he was, and it was also for adults. I mean, right. even exactly. on some of the programs, he said, it said, you know, 
adults only, not for children, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, what, what kid would be at a, you know, <laughs> stand up <laughs> show at midnight? Um, I don't know. So, so he, um, let's see, a lot of celebrities of the day, artists, you know, came to his, um, support like Woody Allen, Bob right. Dylan, Allen Ginsberg, Norman Mailer. <laughs> Let's get to right. Woody Allen for now. <laughs> of the day, of the day. Um, so um, he was sentenced in December of 1964, um, but was set free on bail. So during the appeals process, he died before the appeal was decided. Shit. Yep. Wow. So um, in 1966, he was 40. And that's when he died. Uh-huh. Uh, and part of the E! True Hollywood story, of course, they suggested that his death by overdose might not have been an accident because he had cooperated so many times with the police to stay out of jail and snitched on drug mm-hmm. dealers. Right. They suggested he was given a term that I had never known before, a hot fix that day, which would be oh, an yeah. intentionally high amount of drugs that would cause him to overdose. So he was naked on the toilet with the needle in his arm. So either he fell okay. off the toilet, right. overdosed accidentally, mm-hmm. or committed suicide. And people were like, well, he was a troubled soul, but they didn't think that that would be what he was doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if he snitched on those people and he was going to jail and he knew they're going to kill me in jail. So well, if he, if he, if he turned on the drug dealers enough times, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the grizzled LA cop was like, I'd want to say sayonara sucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that could have been. Right. So that's pretty much it. he, just had a lot of I thought really interesting takes on religion especially for that early and to be that outspoken and obviously he influenced uh, Carlin yeah and Ricky Gervais and other people who actually call out the church uh, that's pretty fascinating I love yeah. like this strain of of doing something is like finding comedians or other people who are outspoken, not just given, you know, talking about Falwell and how trashy he is. This was really fascinating. You did an excellent job. Thanks for my book report. <laughs> oh my god. You gosh. only have to be gone a month. That's right. By yourself. To come up with some content. So <laughs> it's going to be an expensive and lengthy time until <laughs> we do another one. We need a sponsor. So are there for like <laughs> Are there any like specials or any roasts or anything that people can watch on YouTube? Oh, well, Dustin Hoffman played him in a movie. It's called Lenny. <laughs> Easy to find. Um, yeah. They also did a play on Broadway. And as I was looking things up on YouTube, I found this old video um, of the Dick Cavett show with Gloria Swanson. She had walked out on it and she was great. She said, she said, oh, I have nothing against it. It's just that's not the kind of material I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to be sitting, you know, so right. close and hearing that. And um, uh, let's see. 
the E! True Hollywood story didn't deal with any of the religious stuff. It just had a lot of old farts who were around him. Um, It's really interesting. I mean, there's so much about him that you can take you could take one facet of his life and not even deal mm-hmm. with the other ones. Like I could have told you all this religious stuff, not even mentioned the drugs and how he right, eventually, right. you know, died. Yeah. I don't think that E true Hollywood story was a real good overview. Not a, no, because they probably have to be careful of uh-huh. their listeners and blah, blah, blah. Well, I just looked up. He did have a daughter. Kitty. Named. What? Listen, Sorry. <laughs> I researched for one month overseas for this, so I am going to... And she was in a girl gang film called The Jezebels. Sure. (laughs) She played a buxom yet frail character girl who would do anything to get accepted by tough gang leaders, (laughs) but it said she also did a little bit of pop singing and opened for George Carlin and Diana Ross. So that's very interesting. Yeah. It feels like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like there were so fewer people in entertainment back then compared Mm -hmm. to now that they all intertwined. They all like they all knew each, each other or at some point. Absolutely, the Sinatras. That I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And there weren't as many p- content places. That's right for people to become famous. So yeah. there was a limited amount. Yeah, that's very fascinating. I might watch Lenny. Yeah, I'd like to see the um, the the movie. And I might go to France. And oh. go to one of those houses and say, <laughs> "Yeah, I'd like to find one of those." Anyway, that to me, I, I I found myself going, I would have never read anything in my life that told me what was really going on like that. If right, I hadn't right. read this autobiography, it was so yeah. sordid. There are some sordid. Uh, yeah, stars, especially back then when so much was hidden and quiet. And, and you could bury a story. Yes, you, or you could. can keep everything super, super quiet. I keep going back because last night I also watched the documentary we were talking about. What is it? God forbid mm-hmm. on Liberty. And, um, the whole idea that these two dipshits thought they could keep that story under wraps is hilarious. For years. I yeah. didn't realize how many years. Jerry Falwell and Junior Carla, all that. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. But well the fact that they thought they could keep it under wraps is just they gotta be nuts. And that's why when people come up with other conspiracy theories about right. NASA, you know, all agreeing to this yeah. or, you know, different people. I'm like, how two people cannot keep a secret. Right, right. And you think all these like huge groups of people who get fired and hired and divorced and married, like you don't think someone's gonna be like, Well, I know something. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. 
very fascinating. I'm going to go watch that stuff now. We'll put it on our, I'll put some links on our website, Deconversion Therapy Podcast, that people can watch like these movies and stuff like that. Well, and this, because now I'm into them. This helped me too, to believe that it was real. Um, first of all, when I read a paperback and I see that there are photos, I never skip ahead to the photos because I'm afraid that it's no. going to ruin something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So when I got to the photo section, I will send you the three photos that were in there. Um, one is of his mugshot from Miami Beach. The second one is mm-hmm. his wife, Honey. Uh, and when I started reading this book, I thought, oh, this is just completely all made up. And then the other one is his arrest report, which is where I learned where um, the intersection was that he was asking for money. <laughs> That's just a shitload of money. Anyway. All right. I'll send these to you. It's a great con. It's a good of con. the conned. Yeah. To do the con yeah (laughs) all right guys well thanks for listening thanks guys we'd love you to review us and audience thanks Thanks.